Okay, let's have a look at John the Baptizer, the Immerser. And we're going to read from Luke's Gospel this morning. Let's turn our focus now to the written word, revealed word of God himself. Luke chapter 3, and I read from verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. Now, Luke is writing this. He's a doctor, a medical doctor, so he's very particular, and we are very grateful that he is, because we have a huge amount of history that places everything so clearly for us. So when we start unpacking dates and times and all the rest of it, we know exactly what was going on at that very time. Verse 3, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching uh, baptism and immersion of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, that statement just grabs me. How many times do you hear from a pulpit anywhere when a crowd gathers, you brood of vipers, <laughs> who warned you to flee? Most of the time, if we want a crowd, we make the atmosphere a little bit better, we, we up the ante with the music, we put a bit of gold dust in the, in the filtration system. We do something to draw the crowds into us. But John says, you brood of vipers, when the crowd comes. Verse 8, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say for yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. And how quickly we do that. We have, you know, we've got this pedigree, this church pedigree, this Christian pedigree. Oh, I've been this and I've been that and I've done this and I've done that. He says, man, God can even raise up stones for, for children. Then verse 9, he says, the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That was John's message. Verse 8, uh, verse 10, sorry. What should we do then, the crowd asked, and John answered. The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you required, he told them. No bribes. <laughs> Imagine if we could get this message out to people, you know. Don't collect any more than you're required to. Some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? What should we do, the soldiers asked. 
He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. We've got a huge national strike coming out this week. Can you imagine if we could get the message out? Be content with your pay. Wonder how many believers there are in that great crowd that will gather all over the country to supposedly shut down the government because their demands are not being met. Imagine going with a message like this, be content with your pay. Not that they're interested in repenting. These people were. Verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly and all all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I immerse you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Quite amazing, the fire message is missed by so much of the church today. They love to talk about the fire of God, but they don't realize the fire of God is actually judgment and purification and cleansing. It's not wada, 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 and jump up and down and run around the place and, ooh, the fire of God is on me. That's not the fire of God. The fire of God in the Scripture is a purifying fire. It's a cleansing fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. This was good news. But when John rebuked, Herod the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, he had married his brother's wife illegally. He wasn't allowed to lawfully do that. And all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in the prison. And as we read later, John lost his head at that occasion as well. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, oh, how I long that you would, you would ignite our hearts to understand what you would say to us. Lord, this is all we've got. We don't have human wisdom that is worth anything, but we have your precious word, which one bit of ignition in our hearts can change our lives forever. And how I pray that to be true today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so who was John the Baptist? Let's talk a little bit about this character, John, and then we're going to, as we always do from these stories we've been looking at, uh, see what lessons we can learn. John's parents' name were Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they lived in the hill country of Judea. Zechariah was a priest, and according to Scripture, they were a devout couple who faithfully followed God's commands. Elizabeth was actually descendant from Aaron's line, and she was a cousin of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So John and Jesus were cousins, only months apart in age. John's birth 
was divinely foretold and his name was given directly by God. You remember the story, an angel visited, Gabriel, angel Gabriel, visited Zechariah at the temple one day to announce Elizabeth's pregnancy. And then we read the story of how Zechariah responded in disbelief. And because he didn't believe immediately, his mouth was shut uh, until the birth of his son when he was able to write on a tablet, his name is John, meaning Yahweh is or Yahweh has been gracious. As foretold in the scripture, John's lifestyle kept him removed from regular society, and we see him living and dressing as many of the old prophets did. Very simply, he had rough, basic clothing. The Bible says he was clothed in in camel hair. Uh, According to the scripture, he also ate locusts and wild honey like many of the other poorer people in the region. But even after years of avoiding the mainstream, he ended up impacting many from all walks of life who came out to listen to him. And just as the prophecy said, his ministry was built around the message of God's salvation and living righteously, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So don't say you're a follower of God. Don't say you have changed your mind. You have repented. Don't say you have turned away from your things to God's things and not produce the fruit that accompanies that. When he was asked by the crowd what they should do, he gave instructions. As we've read, anyone who's got two shirts, share one who has nothing. Anyone who has got food, share with those who don't have. To the tax collectors, don't take more than you're supposed to. To the soldiers, Don't extort money and don't accuse people. Be content with your pay. Practical, simple advice for everyday living. We could almost stop in today's society with John's message. (laughs) I mean, if we could just get people to listen to what John was saying, our society would be transformed. Practical advice. Prophets Isaiah and Malachi spoke of his coming. For 400 years, we know there had been silence. God had not spoken. At the, the Old Testament concludes with the book of Malachi. In fact, the closing words in the book of Malachi, we read the following. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And many years before that, Isaiah had spoken these words about John, that he would be a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Jesus himself said of John, and we read this in Matthew's gospel, I tell you the truth, among those born of woman, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So even Jesus said, John is the greatest man alive. And then he says, yet he who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. So that's some background to John the Baptist. Let's read, or let's learn now some lessons that we've perhaps picked up even as we've been reading through this passage. Lesson number one, we have a purpose for today. Let me personalize that. I have a purpose for today. 
look in the mirror and say that. I have a purpose for today. Each one of us, every person who is called by the Lord, everyone, I have a purpose for today. John's days were destined by the Lord, and we know he was born for a specific purpose. God knew exactly when he needed to be born. Didn't make sense to his parents at the time, Elizabeth and Zachariah. In their old age, barren, wanting children all their lives. And we see this often in the scriptures that God has that person specifically at just the right time. God is never early. God is never late. He is just on time. And for each one of us here today, the timing is exactly perfect. You are here today in God's perfect time. Tomorrow you will be doing whatever you are doing in God's perfect time. God knew that Jesus needed a forerunner. I mean, he had written the book in that specific time in history. He knew and numbered all his days when there wasn't even one of them. He had design and purpose in the timing of his birth and the family that John was born to. And friends, God's timing for our lives too is perfect. I can't stress that enough. As I read the story about John and just how intricately his timing was was fulfilled through the scriptures and in history, it just made me think, I'm here. I'm here. And my timing is perfect. Rose often says, oh, she'd love to have lived in the Victorian era. So her hair could be up here and the dresses could be out there, you know. She loves all the pomp and ceremony. Mahani, have you ever thought you might have been one of those who was washing those people's clothes for 18 hours a day in a dungeon somewhere? (laughs) Your timing, God's timing for your life is 100% percent accurate for today. That just blesses me. You are not an accident. You are not born in the wrong time. You are destined for today for his purposes. You are part of history, his story. You might not be a John the Baptist, but you are a you. Are you brave enough to say to yourself, I am a me, I am me, and I am in God's perfect time for today in this place. Oh, I don't want to live in King Williamstown, I want to go somewhere else. No, God has put you here for now, for this time, for a specific purpose and a specific reason. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, we are God's workmanship you telling me God made a mistake that you were born five minutes too early or five minutes too late? Are you going to try and tell me that the sovereign God of the universe that controls everything and sustains everything by the power of his word, are you going to try and tell me that you're not supposed to be living in king right now or wherever you're living? Are you trying to tell me, I just can't wait to get out of this town. I just can't wait to get to paradise, wherever that paradise is. And by the way, it might just be when you're in the ground. Because you're never going to find the perfect place. 
Eskimo will get you wherever you are. <laughs> the prince of darkness, he's coming for you. <laughs> we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So I leave this place today knowing that just like John the Baptist, I have a purpose for today. I am created by God for today in this specific time in history to do the good works that he has pre-prepared for me to be involved with doing. No matter what you feel, no matter how insignificant you may think you are, do not look at what you are not. Look at what you are. Look at what you have. I guarantee you there's not a single person in this place here today that the only shirt you have is what you're wearing right now. I could probably almost guarantee you that everybody here is not starving with hunger. Like I say to you often, it's not whether I'm going to eat, it's what I'm going to eat. I'll open the deep freeze and open the fridge and think, what am I going to eat? When there's so many people are wondering whether they're going to eat. No matter what you think of, no matter what you, you oh, if only I could be like this one or like that one. Oh, I'm not a Billy Graham or I'm not an Elon Musk or a Bill Gates or anything else. I want to say, praise the Lord that you're not. I'm so grateful that you are not anyone that, other than who you are. <laughs> I mean that. Imagine if you were somebody else. It's not possible. Because God has made you you for such a time as today. Ah, that's your purpose. Being a mother, being a father, being a co-worker, being an employee, being an employer, being a friend, being a prayer, etc., etc. Let that sink in for a bit. So often we're trying to run away. If only I could do this, then I would be happy. If only I had this, then I would be happy. Since when did God abandon you or change your destiny? You are here today for a purpose, and you are part of history. He is writing his story, and you and I are part of his story. Life is hard, and stuff happens, and we could be in a place we really don't want to be because of COVID or because of this, or everything was going so well, and then this and then that. doesn't matter what's gone on. God has not abandoned you. He hasn't changed anything. You are here today for a purpose. Amen. Lesson number two, because we're here, we need to live out that calling. John answered God's call and lived with clear direction, and it actually started with John's parents. Began with Zechariah and Elizabeth recognizing that calling on their son. They embraced it, they encouraged it, and they, they worked towards God's purposes being fulfilled through their child. Normally in that day, the child would be given, the firstborn son would be given the father's name or at very least a family name. So they straight away went against the grain, went against society, and he wrote down on that tablet, his name is John. I mean, everybody was, was befounded. 
His name can't be John. It's got to be Zechariah or somebody else close in the family. But the angel had told him his name is John. So they started immediately with implementing God's purposes for this young guy. His name is John. Luke chapter 1, verse 76, immediately after his mouth is open, Zechariah starts prophesying over his son. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Passage goes on in verse 80 to say he grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Now, prophets were known to use the isolated uh, context of the desert to grow spiritually and to focus themselves on God's message. We see that throughout Scripture. For example, Moses met God in the Midian Desert and Elijah and etc., etc. We've got all these examples of prophets who went into these desolate places where they would mature the message that God had for them. John didn't have an easy life. In fact, most of his life he spent in the desert. And my point there is that be careful when you're trying to live out your calling that you don't fight that desert experience. That might be where you're at now. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. All you can see is sand. Hot days, freezing cold nights. You don't feel like you're going anywhere. You don't feel like that. You You don't even know what you're doing. Don't fight the desert. The desert is where God is going to hone the purposes that he has for you to be the best mother ever to be the best employer ever, to be the best whatever it is that God has got you doing. Don't fight the desert. Embrace the desert. Learn in the desert. See what God wants you to do in the desert. So don't be afraid to live out your calling, whatever that is. And if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, just keep doing what you're doing. That's good advice. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what God wants me to do. You just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> you can be pretty confident. It's not against God's word. You can be, I mean, if you're a drug smuggler, don't keep smuggling drugs. That's what I mean. <laughs> but, but if you just do, if you're doing your best to be what God wants you to do, you just keep doing what you're doing because that's most likely what God wants you to do. If former, you're a drug peddler, not a drug smuggler. She's a pharmacist, so she peddles drugs. She doesn't smuggle them. <laughs> Proverbs 29, 25 encourages me. It says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. Sometimes we don't want to do what God wants us to do, because what will people say? Whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. See, the implementation of our calling and ministry usually starts with just being different. John the Baptist was very different. He didn't do what everybody else did. He was just different. Let me give you some tips. How about being kind to people around you? Considerate. Non-argumentative. Unlike your pastor is very often. 
Don't follow my example. <laughs> That's when you're supposed to say, no, my darling, you never argue with me. Are you amening here? <laughs> I don't stand a chance. At my home, I don't stand a chance. Praise the Lord for a good woman. Bottom line is we don't have to solve the world's problems, but we can be kind to the next person we meet. Have you ever thought of doing that? You don't have to solve world hunger. God's not asking you to solve world hunger, most likely. God's not asking you to be John the Baptist and to go and call out Ramaphosa for Palapala or anything else and end up in jail. He's not asking you to do that. Maybe he is, but most of us, he doesn't ask us to do that. But he does want us to be kind to the next person we meet. He does want us to share our food with the hungry, the next person we see without clothes on their backs. My greatest frustration at home is trying to get a shirt out of the cupboard because my cupboard's so full. Come on, anybody else got that problem? And then I've got a variety of sizes. <laughs> See, after COVID, I could fit into most things, and they were hanging on me. The shirt you see in front of your eyes today, it's the third one I've got from the shop I bought it from, and they added an extra X every time I got it. <laughs> Don't want to tell you how many Xs on the shirt. <laughs> but I don't want to get rid of any of those others just in case one day I have the type of courage I need to try and shed a few pounds, you know. Friends, we've just got to live with focus and determination and purpose. I know I'm here for a reason. I know God has called me. Now I must live out that call. And I encourage you to do that. If you're a child, you are called. Now live it out. And my sermon just disappeared. Number three, humility. That we see in John the Baptist is not a sign of weakness. We are afraid of humility. John the Baptist was a strong and a humble leader. Sounds like a contradiction in terms. How can you be strong and humble? Nowadays, it seems that you're either strong, powerful leader or, or you're humble. But strength and humility clearly do go together because that's what we see in John the Baptist. He didn't live for the opinion of others, but he lived driven with compassion to see others pointed towards Jesus Christ. Many people followed John. Many people came to hear him preach crowds, but that didn't allow him to become proud and self-focused. He continued to preach repentance of sins, pointing others to the Savior that he need, knew he needed too. So much of our preaching today is pointed towards ourselves. 
how we can live powerful, successful lives, how we can become more wealthy, how we can become this, how we can do that, how we can everything else. John's message was clear. Repent. Turn from yourself and turn for him. This deep humility and obedience characterized his life and his ministry. I baptize you with water, but after me will come one more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit even to carry. Isn't that amazing? I mean, carrying sandals was given to the lowliest of all slaves. You didn't carry somebody's sandals unless you were the lowest of the low. John doesn't even consider himself worthy to carry the sandals of Jesus. This powerful, mighty, focused man calling people to repentance, unafraid of the crowds or the opinions of people, this mighty giant of God says he won't even carry Jesus' sandals. He's not even worthy of doing that. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, among those born of woman, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. But when it was time for Jesus to enter the scene, John was humble enough to step aside and to allow Christ's ministry to begin. There was no power struggle. There was no argument. There was no ill feeling. There was no bitterness or envy. There was only complete surrender and unpretentiousness. John was not jealous of Jesus. For him, his life is not important. For him, his life was about Christ. He knew his mission was to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. Friends, humility and obedience to God matters more than what other people think about us. Humility is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. You can be that mighty person of God and still walk walk in absolute humility because it's not you walking, it's Christ in you. And that brings me on to the last little thought this morning. Christ is the only goal. In John chapter 3, verse 30, John said, He, Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. This should be our lifelong goal. For Christ to increase and me to decrease, because only in this way do I begin to really live. As long as I'm living for myself, as long as I'm living for the applause of people, as long as I'm living for all the compliments and all of the other stuff that that must come for me to live, I'm in trouble. Perhaps we need to ask ourselves, how much am I actually alive to Christ and how much Am I dead to myself? Am I truly decreasing in life? Or am I increasing and Christ is decreasing? Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's all about Christ. John lived solely to point others to Christ. Many people asked John who he was. They wondered if he was perhaps the promised Messiah or Elijah or even a false prophet. Yet John clearly answered firmly no to every, every question. 
and repeatedly pointed people to Jesus. That was his mission. Point others to the Savior. How do I match up? Is that what I'm here for? Am I here to let people see how clever I am, how wonderful I am, how educated I am, how this, how that, how the next thing? Or am I here just to point people to Christ? See, in a sense, there should be a John the Baptist within each one of us. Our sole goal is to point people to Christ. He must become greater. I must become less. Hebrews 13 says, holy, Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Our mission is to point others to Christ. Be careful of those who would draw you to themselves. You hear it all the time. See it on so-called Christian television all the time. I want to give God the glory. And then they tell you these in-depth stories about themselves and how wonderful they are and what they've accomplished and what they've done. And when they finish, they say, praise the Lord. <laughs> I mean, who's glorified? Who's glorified? We're not interested in your pedigree. We want to see Jesus. Christ is the only goal. Hallelujah. Let me summarize our lessons today. We have a purpose for today. Amen. Don't leave here today until you are convinced that you have a purpose. If you're a child of God, you have a purpose. So if you're going to leave here without a purpose, if you feel like you're just randomly in Kona and you don't know what you're doing here, I want to tell you that you need to get born again. You need to be saved. You need to come to understand that your righteousness is useless before God. For all have sinned and fall short before the glory of God. The wages of that sin is always death. The good news is to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. The good news is to all, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Now, if you've done that and you know that you are a child of God, he who has the Son, 1 John 5, 12, has life. And you know you have life. I want to tell you this. Without any hesitation in my, life, in my mind or my heart, you have a purpose. In a sense, you are a John the Baptist in Conway for today. We need to live out that calling. And we don't have to save the world. If I look at the needs around, I get depressed and I want to climb into a little hole and I want to say, Jesus, please come fetch me because I can't do this. But he's not asking me to save the world. He's asking me to take care of the next person that I meet that needs taking care of. He needs me to be kind to the next person I see that needs a kind word today. And how many times have you gone to the, to the shopping mall and you got stuck in the wrong queue? I've told you before, don't stand behind me. It's always the wrong queue. 
and the person's got 5,000 transactions to do, and then you've got a grumpy person behind the counter. How often have you just spoken a kind word to the uh, person who's all they've said to you is plastic? And you're so irritated because they haven't greeted you, they haven't done anything, all you get is plastic, you know? When last did you just smile at them and give them a kind word? That's living out your calling. That's living out your purpose. That's being Jesus to somebody. It doesn't have to cost you anything but a smile. Humility is not a sign of weakness. God opposes the proud. I don't want to come up against God. I struggle enough with myself without having to take God on as well. Christ, may he remain the goal for all of us in our endeavors, in everything we do. Next time you do manage to smile at the person that told, and somebody behind you says, how did you manage to do that? You smile at them too and say, Christ is the goal, <laughs> at least in your heart. Because <laughs> that's all you're doing, not receiving the accolades, going on to the poor person on the street and feeding them and making sure somebody's seen you do it, you know. Oh, I'm going to give away the shirt. It's full of holes, but I'll give it to them this way around so they can't see all the holes at the back. But somebody's got to see me doing it. No, 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 no. Christ is the goal in everything we do. It's Jesus. Your mighty love and power amazes me. It amazes me that you should see fit to accept someone like me, a rotten, stinking, dirty sinner like me. Your love has forgiven me. I don't want to touch anything of his glory. It's Christ alone. He's the goal. He's the reason we live. In Jesus' name, amen.